Philippians chapter 1, um, last week we started off this letter, Paul wrote to this church that was uh, just so special to his heart, and you know, as, before we dive in, I just want to share with you guys something that's heavy on my heart. You know, whenever whenever you go to church, or wherever you go to church, because a lot of change, so you and I aren't always going to stay here, and sometimes people move on, just want to make sure they teach you the Bible. Because a lot of times, man, you'll go to church, the guy will read the Bible, but he doesn't really teach it. Sometimes they don't teach that they don't even read it, man. And so you guys have to keep me accountable that I teach the Bible, okay? And I pray that wherever you go, whatever Bible studies you listen to, that they're teaching you the Bible. Read it to me and explain that to me. Not just what you want to say. No, what does the word say? And so I actually, today we're going to cover verses 12 through 18, but I want to go back and touch on this because it kind of frames it all up again. Uh, look at Philippians 1, uh, verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. And so we talked about this last week. These are the guys that, you know, the Lord used. More than likely, Timothy was the secretary. Paul is writing this to them. And it's so cool the way that they're described, um, not as, you know, the, the guys on the top. No, we're actually the guys on the bottom, the bond servants. We are surrendered our rights. We have laid down our life for Jesus Christ. This is who Paul and Timothy were. And they're writing to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. And so the saints, it doesn't mean that they're canonized. It just means that they were set apart. They're holy. It means that they were saved. That's all it means. And so he's writing to the church, and he's writing to those who are bishops and deacons. And so they're the leaders in the church. And so he says there in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in one sense, a typical greeting, you know, uh, grace is the Greek greeting, um, uh, in one sense, peace or shalom is the Hebrew greeting, and so he's covering all bases here. But at the same time, uh, Paul the Apostle welded these together because, I mean, we as Christians, we really have to know what grace is. Grace is this, you guys. I deserve hell, but I'm getting heaven. Amen? I deserve cursings, but I am getting blessed. That's what grace is. It's God's unmerited favor. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he died for you, was buried, rose again. He died for your sins, paid the punishment. And so he conquered death. When you believe on him as your righteousness, he's my way to heaven, then immediately you're going to receive grace in life. And God is going to lavish you with his goodness and his favor. And when that happens, it's not, not dependent on your behavior, whether or not you read enough you know, Bible verses today, whether or not you, you know, prayed you know, for 17 hours today, whether or not you, know, you were perfect at, at home and work and everywhere else. No, you're, it's grace. You will never be able to earn this goodness that you now have because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't God good? So God is so good. And when you understand grace, is then that you have peace. And that's all he's saying right here in this greeting to them. It might be typical, but it is awesome as well. 
you know, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And because Christ is the means of this. And so notice what Paul says. You know how when you write a letter, now in those days, they didn't put the name at the end. They put the name in the beginning. So this is what they did. But usually when you write a letter, typically, you know, hey, how you doing? This is how I'm doing. That's what Paul does. And so he talks about them first. Verse three, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now, I love that verse right there. Because basically he's saying, you know what, every time I think about you Philippians, I have nothing but fond memories of you. And they were a, just a beautiful, supportive church. And so he thanked God upon every remembrance of them. Verse 4, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. And I love the fact that the pastor here is praying for the church because pastors should be praying for the church. And as he's there praying for them, he's, he's making requests for them. But as he's thinking about them, there's this joy in them. Look what he says in him, verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And so remember Acts 16 is when Paul planted the church in Philippi. God used him there. God opened up Lydia's heart when he met with the ladies who were there praying by the river. And from the very first day, this lady who probably had some money, um, they then participated in the gospel, the fellowship of the gospel. And we talked about this, how, you know, we want to get the message out, right? The good news That's what gospel literally means, good news. We're living in a world where, man, there's so much bad news, and some of it is legitimately bad. And it's so beautiful when we have the good news to share. And so the the fellowship of the gospel was, man, the service. You know, you guys are serving. That's you fellowshipping the gospel, The, the suffering, the sacrificing, and even the support. As we're doing this together, Paul was just thanking God for the Philippian church, for their fellowship in the gospel from day one all the way until now. And some of you guys are like that from day one, man, ever since you came, ever since you discovered, it's just boom, it's been the whole time. Paul right here says to the Philippian church, man, I thank God for you. Look at verse six, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the beautiful promise. You know, have you guys ever started a book and you didn't finish it? I mean, we've done that too many times, right? Have you ever started a project, you didn't finish it? Jesus said, I started this work in you and I am going to finish it in one day, even though we're all knuckleheads, even though we all mess up from time to time, because of the simple faith in Christ, you, you, you will stand in the presence of Christ. And that's all he says. It's so beautiful. Verse 7, just as it is right for me to think this of you because I have you in my heart. And I wanted to pause there for a moment, you know, because, you know, we're, we're a family. We're a church, you know, and we should love each other. You know, you should be in, in my heart, especially as a pastor. I was thinking about some of these things that we see going on in the world today and some of these rock star celebrity pastors. And uh, again, not to judge anybody, but man, you know, you have examples, lapses of faith, you know, someone like, like Hillsong or some of these other churches. Uh, um, and I just trip out on like, man, Lord, what happened to these guys 
who were supposed to be bondservants, who were just supposed to have love. The people have to be loved. It has, that's Paul saying, I, 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 you guys are in my heart. And that's the way it should be. I know we struggle with, some, with each other sometimes, right? Um, you guys are probably saying, well, I'm sitting on this side because so-and-so is sitting on that side, you know? <laughs> And sometimes we have that issue in the church, um, but prayerfully not. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's not that type of drama here. But at the end of the day, my prayer is that we would love each other. I was talking to a lady today coming up, having some struggles and stuff. And I just tell her, hey, I I know I just met you right now, but I want you to know you're my sister. I love you. We are family here. We're not perfect. Just like all family is imperfect. Amen? So we're a church. We're family. We're not perfect. uh, But... We are forgiven, and we are in this together. And so Paul says, you know what? I have you in my heart. You guys are in my heart. He says right here, because I have you in my heart in as much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. You know, and so he wasn't just blowing wind. He wasn't just saying it, you know, because a lot of guys, well, that's my job. I go up there and I talk. No, he said, God is my witness. He knows I really care for you. I really love you. He knows what's going on in my heart. And this I pray, verse nine, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. And so even though the Philippian church already had a lot of love, like a lot of you guys here have, there's more, you guys. There's a deeper love. And it's a beautiful thing he says right here. And by the way, it's not just feelings. It's an all knowledge and discernment. You know, and that's why we're, you know, some people are going to this Dodger uh, march or whatever you would call it. It's just a prayer meeting. Really, it's very, it's supposed to be peaceful. And so hopefully it stays peaceful, you know, but, you know, the Dodgers uh, chose to uninvite the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence because of the fact that they dress up like nuns, uh, painted up, and they mock the Catholic Church. They they openly mock the church. And so here you're, you're, you know, you're going to honor them. And so, you know, they uninvited them because the Catholic church, you know, said, Hey, what's up? But then they reinvited them. And next thing you know, they're honored in our state, uh, uh, in their state assembly. And then next thing you know, they're going to be at whatever angel stadium. And so, you know, we could just sit back and do nothing, but, you know, we're going to go and we're going to kind of make our presence known. We're going to pray. I hope it doesn't escalate into anything weird. But why are you doing this? Why, why are you guys doing this? Because we love you. That's what he's saying right there, that your love would abound still more and more, not just in gushy feelings. Oh, go ahead and do whatever you want. No, that your love would abound in all knowledge and discernment that you'd be able to prove the things that are approved by God. You know, we have to make that stand. So again, not, not, not in disrespect, you know, but in love. And so, you know, things like that. Paul is writing to this church, and I'm praying for the church right here. And then in, in verse 10, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so, you know, like filled up, man, overflowing, 
You know, Paul is praying for the church. You guys are amazing people. You guys are out there on the front lines. Which city do you work in? What school do you go to? Who do you know? You have friends, and God has you on a mission, and you're out there, and that, you know, you come to church service, and it's hopefully it's not just a religious thing. You shine with the love of Jesus Christ, and you are get to share the truth that the world is hungering for, hopefully, because it resonates with them when you tell them the truth and when they see your love. And that's what Paul is saying. I want you to be filled like that. I want people to be able to see you and know, man, there is something completely different in you. And if God is in you, then there should be something completely different about you. Amen? There really should be. And so that's what he's saying right here. And so talking to the Philippians, sharing with them, hey, man, just right off the top of my head, these are some of the things that are about you. But then I'm sure they were wondering, well, Paul, how are you doing? how are you doing? Because last we heard, I think it was like five years ago, I heard to the grace vine that you got arrested and now you're in Pelican Bay. No, I'm just joking. Not Pelican Bay, but now you're in Rome, you know, under house arrest. And so how are you doing? And so look what he says, verse 12. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And, and, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. He says, what then? You know, how do I conclude this whole thing? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Now remember, this is a letter of joy, happily humble, writing from jail. It's a, a letter of joy. Do you know how long Paul has been chained? It's probably been five years. In 58, AD 58, he was on his way to Jerusalem. And if you read Acts chapter 20, every church that he was going to, they were saying, don't go, Paul, don't go, Paul, because the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulation await you. And so imagine if you knew that if you kept going on this you know, road that you were on, that you were going to get locked up. Question, would you still go? Well, it depends on whether or not God was leading you, right? In this case, God was leading him. And sure enough, when Paul went to Jerusalem, he tried his best to be all things to all men. He went, you know, he supported a few guys there in the temple. But unfortunately, he had done so much uh, damage, so to speak, because of the power of the gospel, him preaching out in the different places that they accused him of taking Trophimus too far into the temple. And so all the Jews, they yelled and they were, they were beating him down. And so finally what ends up happening is the Romans come and they take him away. They rescue him physically, but they put him in chains. And Paul would be in chains. Think about this, in chains for five years. For five years, 
two years there in Caesarea, then all the way on his journey to Rome, which some say take a year, maybe even longer. And then if you read the end of the book of Acts, two years under house arrest, but still in chains. And so they're wondering, Paul, how are you doing? And he could have, you know, he could have complained. There's no doubt about it. He could have complained. You know, it's not the same living life chained. You know, looking at these four walls right here, not being able to go out, you know, whenever you want to. I want to get something from Starbucks. You can't. You're chained. You're chained to a Roman soldier. They say that maybe four, every four hours a new soldier would come. Some say it's every six hours. The soldiers that are mentioned right here are the Green Berets. They were the guys that would actually guard the Senate, just the Praetorium household. These are like the, the top guns. Paul's chained to them. They're chained to him. And he's not complaining. He's not complaining. I mean, and if you want to think about it, I know any one of you, you have reason to complain. There are things that are going on in your life that, man, you just wish it wouldn't have gone that way. Why? Because we live in a fallen world, fallen bodies, fighting fallen angels. It's inevitable. Things are going to go crazy. Things are going to be tough. And so if you want to, you can focus on that. You know, but, but what Paul is going to teach us, and I want to make sure I first deal with Paul before I come to us all, right? First, you have to find out what did it mean to the original recipients before you can make personal application. You know, Paul could have complained. There's no doubt about it. But it wasn't present. It was nowhere. It's nowhere present in this letter. He says, I want you to know this, that all the things that have happened to me, all the things that are happening to me, have only turned out for the furtherance, for the advancement of the gospel. And if you write in your Bibles, I would probably circle three things here that to me I think are so cool. Number one is what I just said to you, the furtherance of the gospel. Or maybe you can underline it, or maybe you can write it in a note right there, because that's pretty cool. Secondly, as a result of Paul's chains, it says there in verse 14 that they were more bold to speak the word. So the gospel is getting advanced and the word of God is going out and that's awesome. If That's awesome. If you see that right there, Paul says, uh, and most of the brethren in the Lord having become more confident by my chains are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so the gospel's advancing, the word is going out without fear. And then the last thing that maybe you can underline or circle is there in verse 18, Christ is preached. Christ is preached. And, and you know, I don't know where you're at. Some of you guys, probably you already know how awesome that is. You know, but maybe some of you guys don't. They're like, I, I wouldn't want to go to jail for five years just so more people can preach the gospel, just so more people can teach the Bible with boldness, just so you know, more people can hear you know, Christ. And, and why should that make me rejoice? And here's the answer. Here's the answer. Because you should care about people. Because you should care about those who are suicidal. You should care about those who are, are hooked on drugs and the next step is going to be fentanyl. You should care about people whose loved ones you know, have, have cancer and they're mad at God. And just all the problems that you can think about in life, they need Jesus. 
They need the gospel. They need the good news. They need the word of God, right? And so I'll tell you what, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever you got to do in my life, I'm good with it. Not because it felt good. It did not feel good. Now, don't, whatever you do, don't believe something that would say Paul enjoyed being chained. No, he didn't. It drove him crazy, I'm sure, at times. It was so painful at times. The things that he went through. If you get a chance, I want to encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 4 and 2 Corinthians 11, and you're going to see like all the crazy things that Paul went through. I mean, you know, I remember my brother Reuben. Some of you guys might remember Reuben. I miss him so much. I can't wait to see him in heaven. But, you know, he would go out and he would preach the gospel on the streets, on the streets of Elmani, and he would get beat up. When was the last time you got beat up? Because you're preaching the gospel. Paul the Apostle getting flogged, you know. Paul the Apostle getting hated on by other people who didn't understand him. You know, Paul the Apostle, I mean, one time the Bible says he was stoned to death. I mean, I don't know if you know what stoning is. I remember when I was young, we used to have rock fights with our friends. And so we, they would get rocks and we would get rocks. I remember one time, you know, they were in Almani. We were just kids in Adalia. And one of the guys got the bottom of a bottle. You know how they have the thick part of the glass bottles? And so he broke it. He threw it at me. Boom, hit me in the head. I was all bleeding. Well, yeah, this is cool. The, the rock fights of those days, man. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what they would take you and they would start throwing rocks. They would actually usually push you over a cliff so you could fall, you couldn't move, and then they would take these big rocks and boom, they would throw them on you. So that's what they did to Paul on the first missionary journey. They left him for dead. He died. He died. But then God came and resurrected him. Let me ask you a question. For some of you guys who are going through physical impairments and parodies, man, Paul was just a walking wound. He had been thrashed and beat up and suffered. And he even talks about in the Galatians, his eyes are messed up, malaria. I mean, just all the things that we go through, but it was all for the same reason. Now, all those other things are not the context here. The context here is just the chains. Over and over again, you see the chains starting in Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 21, then they arrested him. Paul said, man, I wish I was just like you except for these chains. But you see it throughout. And, and so he's saying, I want you to know that the, the reason that I'm cool with this is because the gospel has been advanced, the word is preached, and Christ is being discovered. You know, and I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about how, Lord, you know, sometimes I think um, I can look back and, and, you know, whether it be before Christ or after Christ, you know, I kind of hesitate to say this, but um, you know, I think of my dear brother Carlos and Christina, what happened with their daughter, and, and you know, she's in heaven now, and it still hurts every single day of their life. But they know, and that's why they're here, that the gospel went out, that that she got saved, that they got saved, that I mean, we're talking hundreds, if not thousands, of people have heard the gospel and been saved. I was reading about this guy, Mo Timbo, and he's a, a pastor in, in Great Britain. And uh, this is a guy, you know, uh, unfortunately went through uh, some crazy times, ended up uh, getting arrested, was facing 10 years in prison, 10 years. But he prayed. He said, Lord, I pray that you would not allow this to happen to me. 
you know, get me out of here. And if you do get me out of here, I will serve you. Now, no, 10 minutes later, he said they came and they opened it up and they said, Mo, you're free to go. That's what they said. And so uh, what ended up happening, though, is that he came back because eventually he had to be tried for his crime. But he didn't have to do 10, 10 months. He only had to do a small, small amount of time. So you're thinking, oh, no, I guess God didn't answer his prayer. Well, God answered his prayer, first of all, to save him. And then he sent him back into prison. And when he went back into prison, 600 people got saved. So the things that have happened to me, Paul says, uh, have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that the word of God can be preached more boldly And it's so cool the way that it's just all summarized, that it's just about Jesus. And and I like that because in in one sense, I pray that we would know this as a church. You know, again, you know, watching these Hillsong things, watching the Duger things, there's crazy stuff out there. I almost wish you didn't hear me say it, but you guys are going to go watch it now, huh? Don't, don't, I mean, it's just crazy, the church that we live in now, so much misrepresentation of, of what we're supposed to do as a church. You guys know that I'm an imperfect man and the Bible is true. Jesus is the one though. So whatever you're going through, we just want to point you to Jesus. Now you have different convictions than I do. I have different convictions than you do. We are not trying to mold you. We're, trying, we're not trying to clone you into our image. You be you. You be who you are in Christ, not me. Me, not you. But at the end of the day, the main thing is we are following Jesus. We are pointing you to Jesus. Because you might be here today. You might be watching online. You might be, you know, I don't want to live anymore. You might be one, you know, I just can't kick this habit anymore. You might be one I, I want out of my marriage. And God, the Bible says God hates divorce. I mean, you might be here today and there's so many things that are going on and struggles and and it's almost like you don't even know where to turn anymore. And you don't even know, man, I'm going to church and it doesn't really seem to be making a difference. It's because at the end of the day, it's not just about going to church. It's about, you know, when you do come to church and we are a family, that you go to Jesus. There's this personal relationship that we have. It's not a religion. And one of the things I know, you know, I always, I remember talking to this one guy, I said, hey, you know, you said you tried church and it didn't help you. Can I ask you a question? Did you ever experience God? Now, it's a trick question, because if he said he did, then he needs to go back. But if he said he didn't, maybe he was never born again. And I want to challenge you guys with that right now, because you guys know this, right? That, that, that you can come to church every single Sunday, every single Sunday, and not be born again. You guys know that? And you can tell when an individual is born again with the love of Jesus Christ, you know, and they have a desire for prayer and the word and fellowship. They have a burden for the lost. I mean, when someone gets saved, it's a miracle. I mean, it's just a miracle. And if you're here today and you're not saved, I would just say to you, don't leave until you get saved. Get on your knees right there, wherever you are, and just know that God loves you. You know, the the gospel is pretty amazing. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to show you guys something real quick. Verse 
1 Corinthians 15. And Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also, notice, you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And so here's the thing. I hope it's clear, man. You will be saved from the you know, power, penalty, and presence of sin. You'll go to heaven if you believe. Like it says right there, believe. And so this is salvation. This is what he says in verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Jesus died for you. They buried him, but he rose again. All the sins that I've ever committed, past, present, future, were laid on him, he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they, they killed him. He died for me. He paid the price. He suffered the punishment that I deserve. But when they buried him, he rose again to show that he had conquered the coffin, gutted the grave, defeated death. And so now when you place your faith in Christ, you are saved. One moment I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. I was addicted to everything. I had no interest in spiritual things. I was right here. And so I went to church, and then I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and everything changed. That's the power of the gospel. Paul the Apostle said in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And you might look at that and you're thinking, how can there be any power in that? You have to explain it to us. You have to get more intellectual. You have to kind of get deep. No, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He rose again. Believe in him and you'll be saved. You know, to the Jews, it was like, oh, I'm sure. You know, it wasn't a religious enough. It wasn't a religious enough. To the Greeks, it was foolish. It's not intellectual enough. I'm sure you're telling me that I can be forgiven of all my sins, that I can be set free, that I can go to heaven if I believe what you're saying right now, that Jesus' lives you know, died for me, rose again. It's as simple as that. Place my faith in him. Yes, do that today and watch what happens. You know, you don't have to be more religious. You don't have to earn it. There's nothing you can do because he paid the price. So for, the, for the, the Jews, you know, no, it wasn't religious enough. It was a stumbling block. To the, to the Greeks, it was foolishness. And you know, like the world today, you know, and I need to say this because there might be some of you out here that, that you think that way. They think Christians are weird. They think Christians, man, you guys are kind of like weird, huh? You know, because you guys believe that. And I'm, and I'm like, man, no, you're weird, man. You're weird. Because you actually believe that we came from nothing. You actually believe that there is no designer in spite of the design. 
I mean, you actually believe that we're, we're accidents, that we're products of evolution, that there's, it's all random chance? You actually believe that all roads, some of them believe something different, that all roads lead to heaven? When these things that they teach about God are mutually exclusive, you actually believe that Jesus was nothing, just a passing prophet, just a random rabbi, just a typical teacher, just another man? I mean, come on, you're smarter than that. There's no one like Jesus. But, you know, they, to them, you know, they want to go ahead and live their life and they've got their degrees from their Ivy League schools and they believe that we're, you know, from, like I said last week, the goo, the zoo, and then you. How dumb is that? No, Paul said, you know what? The things that have happened to me, it's hurt. It's been tough. I hate, you know, I didn't say it, but I'm sure like being chained up for five years, it must have been hard. But here's the thing that we learned, that God will never allow any pain in your life unless there's a purpose. And the greater the pain, the greater the purpose. And I know you go through it. But the thing that, when we, when we, when we study things like this, is so you don't lose heart. So you don't give up. So that you know Romans 8.28 and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. Now sometimes you're able to look back, okay, that's why my dad was shot when I was in the sixth grade. Oh, okay, now I see why my mom was in a car accident when I was a little guy. Now I see why Henry's mom got cancer. I mean, how... How tough that must have been. But God used that to save him. To save him. You see? And and in so many stories, I think of what happened with Mike McClure and this pastor there, you know, Calvary Christian Fellowship in San Jose. And as his church decided to stay open during COVID, you know, and happened to be in a place, a very liberal city, where the city just came down on him. And just the whole thing has been nothing but court cases and turmoil and struggles. And are we going to keep our house? Are we going to keep our livelihood? We're talking about millions of dollars of, of litigation going through this whole thing and how how much of a struggle that must have been. But he would be the first to say that all these things have happened to me for the furtherance of the gospel so that people now are preaching the word with more boldness and they're preaching Jesus. You know, I went to Little Caesar's the other day because I was thinking about this study about Caesar's house. And I... And I <laughs> And I, you know, it's so cool. We got these little Gospel of Johns, and you guys should take them with you. Always have them with you or in your car. You know, the daily breads, we have a ton of them back there. And I'm just taking them in there. I was talking to these two young guys in there, Little Caesars, waiting for their pizza. Hey, do you guys believe in God? And, you know, I'm just curious. Don't answer. Don't tell me what you think I want to hear. Please tell me, you know, do you pray? I mean, is there truth? I mean, just having these conversations you know, because I, I think for us, we have to know that that preaching of the gospel, a simple thing, a lot of times, man, God will use that in those divine appointments. And so for us, Paul here, notice back in Philippians, verse 12, but, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident 
to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. You know, the, the guards that Paul was chained to, like I said, these were the green berets. These were the guys that guarded the politicians. They were there with Paul, these people right here. So the gospel was going to them. They were being saved. If you read Philippians 4, 22, talks about those from Caesar's household. It's crazy. So they're getting saved inside. They knew, oh, Paul's not here because he's a bad guy. They knew Paul is here because Jesus wants him here. Sometimes you go through hard times and you, you might be tempted to think the devil, he's such a liar. He says, well, that happened to you because you're such a bad person. No, your chains are in Christ, right? And so he says that, uh, that, that, that they know my chains are in Christ. I'm not alone in this. So the gospel is inside these walls. But then in verse 14, it goes outside the walls. And, and most of the brethren, he's talking about the brethren in Rome, in the Lord, having become more confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, it gets interesting here. He says, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife. That's not good. But some also from goodwill. So you got two camps. Some guys are doing it for the wrong reason. Some guys are doing it for the right reason. Verse 16, the former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. And basically it appears like as Paul is in chains, there are people inside that are getting saved and there are people outside that are hearing the gospel. And the people that are outside, there's two camps. Some of them are doing it for the right reason. Like let's just say I got arrested. Okay, I got arrested. I went to Almani jail. Then they transferred me to Twin Towers and then eventually ended up in Pelican Bay. Let's just say that happened to me, okay? Would you guys be more bold to preach the gospel? Yeah, you would. Don't say no. <laughs> you'd be like, hey, you know what? That's not right. And I know it would get louder and I know it would rise up, right? And so they were there. They knew that Paul, um, God was working. And it's interesting how it says, I've been appointed to, for the defense of the gospel to be able to go and preach it uh, to Caesar. They knew that's what God had for Paul. And they were just all in. They loved him. They loved the Lord. But then there were others who maybe they were out there and they maybe they were saying, well, Paul here, he's a bad guy. And he's in jail, you know, and he's in this situation that he's in because he's a bad guy. He must have, you know, have some secret sin or whatever. And who knows what they were doing, maybe trying to go and steal, you know, the people that used to, you know, follow his ministry. If you read the book of Romans, Paul said a lot, hi to a lot of people in Rome. All I know is that some were doing it for the right reason and some were doing it for the wrong reason. And, and, and the thing about Paul that is just so cool, not that he advocates people doing it for the wrong reason, is he said, man, at the end of the day, I'm just so blessed that Christ is preached. Why? Why? Because I love people. And I know, you know, you got that guy over there and he's homeless and you drive right by them and you know, maybe he's on drugs. We don't know. Maybe it's mental illness. We don't know. He's clothed in a way that just breaks your heart. And sometimes they don't even have any clothes on. And you drive by 
you know, and you're like, Lord, please, you know, be with that individual. But there are other people who don't drive by. And maybe their hearts are not as sincere as yours are, but they're telling them about Jesus. Doesn't that make you happy? Because I know Jesus is the answer. And so, you know, if I could just get a little controversial, is that okay? I'm going to get controversial with you guys, okay? Um, this, this whole series, The Chosen, you know, there's a lot of different uh, things that we're hearing about it. How many of you guys have seen it? I'm just curious. Right, you don't have to see it if you don't want to. Um, so the Lord will lead you. Anyways, here's the thing that it's it's about you know the life of Christ and and so you know you get messages as some are saying, did you know that not everybody who works, all those hundreds of workers that work there, is saved? Did you know that? Oh, okay. And did you know that there was one who had a gay pride flag on one of the cameras? Did you know that? Oh no, I didn't know. Oh, and then there was a time in the beginning, not anymore, but in the beginning, they were kind of, there's some, there some type of connection with the Mormon church because they were filming in the Mormon studio. And so did you know that? Oh, I didn't know that, you know? And then, and then so I was listening to a Q&A with one of the Calvary Chapel pastors, a, a big church on the other side of the country, and he was saying, you know what, I know some of the guys that are in charge and, and they're funding it, and they've disassociated with the Mormon church. Uh, he said, but um, they love the Lord. And they have a desire to preach Christ. He said, and in this I, I rejoice. How many people do you preach to? When was the last time you, Mr. Critic, were led by someone, by, by led by the Lord to, to lead people to Jesus? Now, now I will say this, because I gotta make sure it's clear. You know, usually if any type of ministry is not like Bible based, usually it's eventually gonna go off, right? And so get ready. I mean something might happen. But up until today, up until today, the episodes that they have have not been anti biblical. They have used artistic freedom. And sometimes when you watch it, like you guys know me, I'm a chion, right? I, I cry. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm like, oh, Lord. You know, um, and we've had people leave the church because I've mentioned the chosen. And so maybe you're going to leave. I, I still love you. <laughs> That's the whole thing I'm talking about, the freedoms we have. And so here, here at the end of the day, this is what I rejoice in, that millions of people are, are hearing about Jesus. And that blesses my heart. You know, Lord, if something's got to happen to me, the things that happen to me end up for the furtherance of the gospel so that other people are preaching the word with more boldness. So that some are out there now and they're preaching Christ. Lord, I, I thank you because, you know, that's what my life is all about. I don't know if you guys realize it or not, but that's what our life is all about. Lord, um, we're getting ready for this marriage fellowship, and some people think that, well, what's marriage for? Do you guys know what marriage is for? It's to make you happy. Is that what marriage is for? Good. You guys are a good church. You disagreed with me on that. <laughs> and they live happily ever after, and that's what marriage is all about. And just don't get me wrong. I pray that you're happy in your marriage. If you're not 
come see me afterwards and we'll talk about that, you know? But your marriage is the same as your life. It's for the glory of God. And so you know what that means? That means you better stay together. Find a way to stay together, stay faithful. And it means that you should serve together. You should serve together. And as you do, and hopefully there's love, and hopefully you're a picture of Christ in the church, it's a beautiful thing because then you're going to enjoy. Same thing with our life. You know, in closing, you know, there might be some of you out there that you get mad at God. You're like, man, you know, the reason I don't believe in God is because there's so much suffering in the world, right? And they have that question, why do bad things happen to good people? Have you guys ever heard that question before? But the, the thing is that we got to know is there are no good people. <laughs> there are no good people. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin against God. So a better question is why do good things happen to bad people? Huh? You're like, oh, I don't know about that one. <laughs> but we're, we, we fall short. I am a pastor and I am a sinner just like you. If you knew everything about me, you wouldn't want to hear me preach. And if I knew everything about you, I wouldn't want to preach to you. <laughs> right? This is the way it is. And so I, I like what R.C. Sproul said, and I'll close with this. He said, The question, why do bad things happen to good people? That only happened once, and he volunteered. And do you know who that one is? Jesus, when he died for our sins to save us. The world might think the message is foolishness, and they might even call you a fool because you're following him. But let me tell you something, man. You guys that follow Christ, You are the wise ones. You are the saved ones. You are the free, redeemed, and forgiven people. And I pray, you guys, that we would be even more bold in this. And so when the things come and the bad things happen to you, sometimes you're able to see it right away, and and sometimes you're not. It may take time for you to see the good that God will work through it. But, but, But understanding the principle here, by faith, my prayer is that you won't lose heart because eventually you're going to see the way that God works it all together for good. And now I pray that we would even come to a place like Paul who had so much power and it was, it was evident in the joy that he had, even in jail. 